Welcome back to another episode of GEMS Podcast with Genesis Amaris Kemp, where the core pillars are to educate, inspire, and motivate. Sit back, relax, and enjoy this segment. Hey, and thank you so much for tuning back into another episode on GEMS Podcast. With me is my special guest, Dan Burkett. And let me tell you a little bit more about Dan so you definitely know who you're going to hear from. So Dan is a synthetic organic chemist and a former tenure track professor that left that behind to work with teenagers in the independent school world in sunny Florida. Now Dan is a college counselor, podcast host, avid runner, and cross-country coach and is here with good vibes for great episodes. And today we're going to learn more about what drove Dan to make that transition, make that pivot and become a college career counselor. Because some people are like, you left what to do what? But anywho, let's welcome the man behind it all, Dan Burkett. Thank you so much. I'm so glad to be here. And the question of why I would leave higher ed to work with uh, teenagers comes up a lot. So I I feel like I'm very prepared to answer that line of questioning. So uh, I'm excited to be here with you. Amazing. So we're going to dive deep into that in a bit. But before we do, since I'm sure you've done your research and you've listened to some episodes, hopefully, I definitely want to either give you two options to connect with my audience. One is via a icebreaker, or the second option is a rapid fire 10 question game. So what are you in the mood for, Dan? I think I'm in the mood to go fast, so let's do rapid fire. Okay, you gotta be quick on your toes. (laughs) Question numero uno. If you could have any superpower, what would it be? Uh, Power to control ice. Question two, dream car. Uh, Mini Cooper which quick story, had one, got rid of it, still my dream car, but they're just so expensive to maintain. Oh yeah, it's made by BMW. (laughs) Yeah, everything's got a price tag. Number three, if you could recreate any significant moment in your life, what would it be and why? Oh gosh, Uh, meeting my partner uh, so I could be less awkward. (laughs) (laughs) How long have you and your partner been together now? Uh, 15 months. Okay, congratulations. Thank you. Question four. You're on a deserted island. You have limited resources and you could only buy one item. Here are your choices. Two bananas and a mango, a t-shirt or your favorite CD. What are you buying? A t-shirt. I love a good (laughs) t-shirt. Five. You just want an all expense pay trip. Anywhere you want to go, your partner can go to. Here's the kicker. They're not flying back to your home base right now. So where are you headed? I would go mm, Portugal. Porto, Portugal. Six. You're in your Mini Cooper, your dream car. You're cruising down sunny Florida. And the vibes are just right. What are you jamming to? Uh, Probably Ariana Grande. Okay. Can you sing something for us? Oh my gosh, you do not. I don't want to lose your listeners. <laughs> if you could have lunch or dinner, Dan, with any person, past or present, who would it be? 
Ooh, um, God, I don't know. Uh, first person that comes to mind is Beyonce. Okay, are you part of the Beehive? Oh my gosh, you know it. <laughs> Eight. Here's the kicker. You just won the lottery. You're like, ooh, yes, I'm gonna buy this, this, and this. And then you get the news. Okay, Dan, before we let you spend this money, you have to donate to three charities. What charities are you donating to? Okay, first uh, would be the Trevor Project. Um, second would be, um, I completely forgot what it's called, but it's the organization that is working on uh, cleaning up the plastic in the oceans, the Great Pacific Garbage Patch, um, any organization that's going to that. Uh, and then um, uh, 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 Meals on Wheels. Okie dokie. I'm really and trying to be fast here. Can you tell? <laughs> Nine. You get to be a fly on the wall for a day and eavesdrop on any conversation. Whose conversation are you listening into? Ooh. Um, I would have to say... I would love to be a fly on the wall for uh, the press secretary and the president, like when they're having their morning briefing as the day's getting going, just to see what the energy in that room is like. Oh, okay. I see you into politics. And mm -hmm. then our pass or play question. Listen carefully. Here are the rules. If you pass, our roles are reversed and you get to ask me a question. If you play, I ask you one last question. So here we go. Do you want to pass or play? Uh, I'm down to play. Okie dokie. Do you see marriage in the upcoming future for yourself and your partner? Uh, yes, absolutely. <laughs> no, no question on my end. Anytime soon? Um, you know, I wouldn't be opposed. So we'll, we'll, we'll figure that out. <laughs> okay. So just let them listen to this uh, segment because there is this new show on Netflix. It's called The Ultimatum. Where it's oh either my gosh. That, okay. That gives me so much anxiety, that show. Um, I've not watched it because I don't think I would be mentally well enough to watch it. Um, so like one, I feel like if you're going on that show, marriage is not in the cards for you. That's, that's just my take. I also, so years ago, I was in a relationship with a horrible guy, cheated on me the entire time, left me with all of these terrible trust issues. So that's why I can't watch that show. Because the thought of my partner being with somebody else for a few weeks while I'm like trying to figure out if we're going to get married. No, my anxiety would be through the roof. I can't even, I can't even like watch other people go through that uh -uh, hard stop. <laughs> I actually watched the show because we had a running joke uh, my husband and I because he said that's what I did to him because by year three I was like boys shack and men build homes what are you trying to do because I think you should already know like by dating a person for a certain amount of time if you want to spend the rest of your life with that person because you're building together it's not going to be the same like a year from now, five years or 10 years. And that's the beauty of it. You're learning from each other and you're becoming a union. Well, and eventually, right? Like there is no major decision at this point that I'm going to make in my life without like including him in my plans and, and vice versa. So like at some point, like what are we 
playing around for if we're like if i can't make those decisions without you because you're a part of my life and i want you to be a part of my life like let's let's solidify this amazing and thank you for playing rapid fire and see audience i got dan to open up a little bit more and go deeper that's what i'm about going beyond always so now let's focus on what made you transition careers because higher education with kids that are responsible level-headed to teenagers who kind of don't know what what they want to do their hormones are all over the place and you know what teenagers let's be honest are teenagers they're gonna you know sometimes they're gonna listen and other times it's gonna go in one ear and out the next 100 percent. so this was a terrifying transition for me but it was one that i i just you know had that feeling and and the seed had been planted a few years before i made the transition and then ultimately um i was just like okay i i've got to figure out something's not working i've got to do something and and this feels like the move so um when i went to grad school uh i did so with the hope of becoming a tenure track professor, but I wasn't totally sold on that. So I was like, you know, I'll get this graduate training and be able to go in industry. Um, and But if I really like teaching, then I'll have this opportunity to stay in higher ed as a professor and all of that. So I thought that was my um, kind of romantic picture of how grad school would go. And then kind of as I was getting deeper in grad school, the thought of working in a research lab for any longer than I had to became unbearable. So it was always like, okay, if I take an industry job, I'll do that for three to five years until I can transition out into the business office and get out of the research lab. And then it became, I'm going to do something non-traditional if I don't do teaching because I can't stand the thought of, of the research thing at all. And for me, I was good at the research. I really liked the part of research of, you know, once I had a story to tell and could present that to people, whether that was writing an article or going to a conference and talking about kind of the full story, that was really fun for me. Um, But the day-to-day doing the experiments, one, like it just kind of felt like a job. Like I was, I was going because I had to, I wasn't really that passionate about my research. And the other thing with synthetic chemistry is your experiments are running uh, crazy times, like 18 hour reaction types of things. So like you can leave the reaction in the lab, but I could never really disconnect from the lab. So I, it really took an emotional toll on me because if my research wasn't going that well, you know, that would affect my mood and affect all other aspects of my life. Whereas teaching, I was able to be a TA all through grad school and working with students and kind of igniting their passion for chemistry, I absolutely loved. And that that um, connection with people was what really drove me as far as it did, or as far as I got in, in the graduate program. Um, but what I was noticing was really two things. So one, uh, by the time I was getting students in my chemistry classes at the college level, they already had an opinion about chemistry. They either hated it or they kind of liked it already, or they just needed it because they had to take it so they could take the MCAT and become a doctor. But they didn't really want to talk about chemistry more than that because their experience with chemistry had already been colored. I also felt like what my professors uh, were expecting of students coming in Um, in their freshman year out of high school was really underestimating students. And so I 
really wanted to transition to K-12 education to kind of elevate the standard and, and send a better prepared students and have give a better lens and give a better first exposure to chemistry to kind of ignite that love of science and, and, and kind of stoke their curiosity. And so that was a very idealized vision, right? Yeah. So, so the other aspect of that was I grew up in the Midwest and I was living in the suburbs of Chicago uh, when the pandemic hit. Um, so when that happened and we got sent home, it was just me and my cat in my apartment in the suburbs of Chicago, which I was like, okay, you know, I have gone through these winters. I had interviewed for a job in Florida a couple years ago or a couple of years prior to that and was offered the job, but I was still in the middle of grad school. So I was like, no, grad school's not finished yet. But I regretted turning that job down every day afterward. So I was like, okay, I'm just going to set my sights in Florida. I Googled private high school jobs and I found a job in Miami and found a job in St. Petersburg, Florida was offered both. Miami sounded really fun and exciting, um, but St. Petersburg, as I learned more about it, I was like, oh, this is really cool. Tampa's right there. It's going on. Um, and I can actually afford to buy a house in St. Petersburg. It just seems like a, like an easier way to live than, than Miami. So I did that. And all the while I was thinking these high schoolers are going to bully me because I'm very just, I am who I am when I teach. I come in and I'm like, what's up y'all? I call them kittens. I'm like, happy Monday, happy Tuesday. And I'm like, it works with college age students because you know they can kind of put themselves aside and get down with the corny but I was like how are the high school students going to take it well uh, I've been very fortunate that they have been fans and I've been very proud of what I've been able to do in a chemistry classroom um, and so really just kind of by being open to getting involved in other things at the school that I'm at uh, I had this offer this year to join the college counseling office as the assistant director and I you know having worked in higher ed um, I just felt really strongly about having students kind of helping students cut through the marketing of college and really kind of help them see the reality of figuring out what the day-to-day -day is going to be like and what the best program uh, for them is going to be. Because, you know, every kid and especially every kid's parents wants the big names. And in Florida, it's all about uh, University of Florida and FSU. And sometimes it's a conversation of going to a kid with 50,000 or going to a school with 50,000 undergrads is not going to be the best environment for your kid. So let's kind of roll back and, and, and figure out an environment where you're kid is going to thrive, not just because they've got a big name that everybody recognizes necessarily, but they found a program that's, that's really kind of tailored to, to what's going to help them grow. Absolutely. And um, that was a big, big transition because sometimes like whenever you go from higher education to um, K through 12, the salary is cut reducedly. Then going back to higher education, you kind of get that 360 effect. But I like the fact that you went to went from higher education to high school because then you got ahead of the curve and you kind of gave high school students a glimpse of what it would look like to really fall in love with chemistry and don't just see it as some things because I've had a kid um, when I was doing junior achievement, 
there's different exercises that you do. And then one kid just says, I quote, are we going to blow shit up? And I'm like, <laughs> um, <laughs> and it was just like, it took me by surprise because I'm like, oh no, that's not what we're here for and I realized that kids sometimes when they think about chemistry all they see are the things um that blow up and whatnot but they don't really go beyond the different um elements and their properties and different stuff like that and I'm like how else do you get through the through to the kids or if they come to your um, class, because my background's oil and gas, I'm not a chemist. Uh, my degree is actually supply chain and logistics and tech with, oh, sure. double, <laughs> with double minors in purchasing and OLS. So that's organizational leadership and supervision. And I was like, I'm not a chemist, but I can tell you about, you know, my experience working for this Fortune 500 oil and gas company. I do work with geologists, geophysics, engineers, chemists, and all of that. And I'm going to tell you about X, Y, and Z, or they're like, okay, miss, 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 do you have a prize? And I'm like, (laughs) are you here for the prize or are you here for the knowledge? So what type of, what type of tactics did you use to get the kids to really engage with chemistry and the subject matter that you were teaching? Because obviously like who, like having a chemistry teacher that was really a chemist, like that's kind of far and few because like some people who teach chemistry are not chemists. Well, that's, that's really key. And so uh, I want to touch on a, on a couple of things you mentioned because um, so I'm in the independent school world. So my salary actually went up from um, being a tenure track professor when I made the transition, which is so funny to me because I think even my boss apologized for the salary that he offered me uh, because he was anticipating that it was going to be lower than I was making. And I was like, you can apologize about this all day long. I am happy to make this jump even more so now. Um, and with the blowing stuff up, like that's, I can't tell you how often, especially in like the, the regular level classes, how often that's like, when are we going to blow stuff up? And it's like, we're actually trying very hard to make sure things don't blow up because I've got 16, 16 year olds in here. Like, let's think this through. Do we really want 16 different explosions going off? Um, so, uh, but I do think that really my, I kind of refer to it as my superpower, which is obnoxious and I understand, but, but, uh, when it comes to being an effective teacher is because I've always really been interested in teaching and kind of thinking about presentation and thinking about, uh, really teaching as storytelling, but I'm not trained conventionally as a teacher. I'm trained as a chemist. So when I'm talking about things and, and it, this is something that's really difficult for me because I'm on ChemEd Twitter and I follow chemistry teachers and what they're doing. And I'm just like the, so much of what our science teachers focus on are just kind of the, the canon of science education, but it's not really what is the most relevant or the most important skills that an actual scientist would, would need. So I think part of it is that I'm very open with my students. So I really believe in sharing um, kind of my, my own journey and um, making it very clear that I kind of just fell into chemistry. My freshman year, I switched my major to accounting and I had a chemistry professor say, whoa, 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 you're actually pretty good at this. Like, can we talk? talk. 
And like, if it weren't for that conversation, who, who knows where I would have ended up, but it wasn't like I was just always super gifted in chemistry and just like had my, had my mindset on chemistry. And I'm very open um, with my students about that. And I'm open with my students about, you know, my experience as a research chemist and my experience in different industries that I've had. So they know when I'm, when I'm talking about a skill, I'm always giving, um, kind of concrete examples of, and this is why this is important. So it, so it gives perspective beyond, you know, because I, I had that non-traditional path where I was learning these skills because I was going to be a chemist. So it, it I think, lends authenticity and I get buy-in through that, but really more so, and this is where I'm really uh, so fortunate to be in the independent school world because, you know, I don't have people coming in and, you know, I hear some of my public school friends that like their evaluations are, oh, you didn't write your standard on the board or you didn't open up your class this way or, or focusing on all of these ancillary things that happen in a classroom that really don't translate to education. And it's just the most rewarding part about my job. I, I, I think back at, so at the end of my first year in this position, I had a mom reach out to me and say that her kid, who was a phenomenal kid, um, but I could see where like in a lot of classes, he was kind of uh, the quieter kid and, um, you know, somewhat rambunctious. So like, I know a lot of teachers might've just been like, oh, like he's not that engaged and he's sometimes causing problems, whatever. But I, you know, just over time, like kind of drew him in and, and drew a lot out of him. And I got an email from the mom saying, you know, like every day this year, he's come home and he's talked about chemistry. And now he's like thinking about STEM career fields and, and he's never, Never really engage in any part of his academics, any part of school, the way that he has with your class. And it's like, yes, this is exactly why I made this transition is to have interactions like that. They don't happen all the time. They don't happen with every kid. Um, but if I can just like show that I'm a real person first and also just like listen to my students and validate them as people too. And I mean, there's a hard line. I have to say all the time, like to my students, like keep me ignorant. Like sometimes they want to get too personal with me and like tell me too much about what they're doing on the weekends and stuff. And I'm like, no, 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 that's not, like, <laughs> that's not what we're talking about here. Like, like I, I'm, I'm open, but they're, but we're still professional. <laughs> like, but, but being willing to go there with them, I think, um, and them seeing that I buy into their lives, they're, they're much more willing to kind of buy into what I'm trying to do in the classroom too. Mm, I like that. And I like that you have boundaries with your students because there are some people who do not have boundaries with, this, with their students. So now going back, let's jump back to being a college counselor, because I just want to get some, something clear. And this may just be me as the mm -hmm. host. So you do your co college counseling full time, or is that done in lieu of you still teaching in the K through 12 space? Sure. So I'm in, I'm in transition now. So next year I'll still have one class, uh, but then I'll be in the college counseling office full time. Okay, cool. So um, what are some of the challenges that some of the students come to you with as a college counselor? Because think, think about it, depending on what size of campus you're on, there may be so many students and you can't spend X amount of time with them because you have maybe a high caseload of other students that you need to see. So what's a way that you can, you know, give information that applies to everyone, but then still personalize it? 
Definitely. So I'm very fortunate that um, we are at a school that really values this piece. This is one of the things that we see as the value added uh, component of, of our school's philosophy is that uh, we do offer individualized college counseling and we're actually expanding our college counseling office. Um, so the challenge right now is that there are, so we're an independent school, we have a thousand students total, but that's three-year-old through 12th grade. So our high school is about uh, 370 students or so. Um, so it's about 90 students per class. Um, and so next year there will be four full-time counselors. So that's 20 to 25 students in the senior year that will have an individual uh, college counselor. Um, and with that, we're now also able to expand and reach out to uh, the ninth and 10th graders a lot more and have conversations of kind of what is your personal narrative? You know, are, are you getting involved in things that have any kind of a common theme? Like how can you, when you, when you get to your junior and senior year and start to really think about college, how are you going to put that out there? And kind of also working with them to think about, okay, like where are you challenging yourself in school? Where are your interests in school? And how is that going to manifest itself uh, in, in, these, in these different different programs? But I would say the biggest challenge um, is really kind of helping parents understand that this is a transitional phase for everybody. So with from the student's perspective, they're making big decisions, obviously, on where they're going to be for the next four years, hopefully, what they're going to study and, and all of that. But the parents have to juggle a couple of things. So there are the parents who are like, um, so what do you mean Harvard isn't going to beg my kid to come the kind of a thing like, like, so, so there's, there's unrealistic expectations. That's, that's one thing. Um, but then there's also kind of understanding that we invite you to be part of this process. Your voice is a, certainly an important voice that's valued, but ultimately it's kind of counseling the parent too, to understand that when your kid gets to whatever university, whatever college they go to, you're not going to be invited into these conversations. So there, there's FERPA that's going to, uh, so that's the Federal Education Right to Privacy Act. And so that that's going to limit what the college can even tell you about what's going on with your kids. So we need to start kind of practicing, empowering your kid um, to be resilient and to have these conversations on their own and kind of helping a lot of families kind of let go of their baby a little bit and, and trust them as they kind of make the decision that's right for them, right for the family, all of that. So it's a lot of emotions involved and it's a lot of just tense waiting and um, kind of working through the regret of, oh, I had a really hard freshman, sophomore, junior year. And it's like, well, unfortunately, the reality is that may limit your options. So we can't change the past. So let's counsel, let's work on figuring out the best plan forward with what our reality is. Mm, and it's great that you let the parents know what the expectations are up front, um, the realistic side, because like you said, they often have those unrealistic expectations, but then you also empower the student to make decisions that are best for them and their circumstances, because, you know, college is not cheap. I have some friends mm -hmm. who have six figures of student loan debt. I had five figures and uh, it was a hard pill to swallow telling my husband, right. oh, by the way, 
you're going to marry me with five fingers. And I said it really right. fast. <laughs> right, 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 right. That is a scary conversation to have because like when you become married, your debt becomes their debt. But luckily, like we have paid off my student loans, paid off my car. My husband is such a godsend, y'all. And I tell people like one thing that really helped me was whenever I went to uh, UT Austin for a summer semester, I quickly realized that, okay, I wasn't going to be as focused because a lot of my friends were there. And, you know, that is a party school. So I came back home, even though I didn't want to, my mom wanted me to. And I went to community college, took the same basic class that were offered at UT and some of the other four-year universities that saved a ton of money. And then once I got my AA, I, yeah, my AA, my Associates of Arts, I transitioned to a four-year university and I only had to do at least two to three years, but I did switch my major from psychology to supply chain. But I tell people, don't just follow the crowd, set your own pace and really know what you want to do. And I think if we start asking kids, who do you want to be when you grow up versus what do you want to be when you grow up? I think that will give them, you know, some more empowerment to really soul search and see what resonates with them and what are some of their strengths. And we need to allow them to make some decisions, even if they fail, learn from your failures. Definitely. And I think the the money piece is such an interesting point from my perspective, because it was certainly a huge factor when I was making my decision. And you have families all across the board where first and foremost, they're looking for the biggest financial aid package. Whereas you have other families that are like, no, 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 we don't need to talk about costs. Like we've got the means, whatever, we'll make it happen. And it's like, God bless you. <laughs> but but, but that just from, from, from my seat, that not being my perspective, that is just uh, a a really kind of interesting to have those conversations because it's it's really kind of like communicating with someone from a totally different world than I than I come from. Amazing. And Dan, as we jump into our call to action part of the segment, what do you want the audience to gravitate to? We talked about you transitioning careers. We talked about you making an imprint and impact on the younger ones and then you just following your heart. Yeah. So I think that's my overall message is, you know, I sometimes feel, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm highly educated in a very technical field. So sometimes I feel like I'm wasting my potential because, you know, I could be in industry, I could be in research, making more money and, and having a different impact. And I think what I often remind myself throughout this all is it's not about that potential. It's about, the potential fulfillment and, and being as, as happier as you can potentially be. And that's, that's a hard way to, to, it's, it's, it's a foreign way of thinking for a lot of us, but I think once you are empowered to make those decisions for yourself, for your happiness, you are really, as you just said, you're able to do some soul searching. And, and for me, it's led to a place where I've never been more fulfilled, never been happier. You know, my relationship kind of fell into place, not fell into place, but I mean, I, I, I met this man after I made this transition and all of that, I was just a happier person, a more fulfilled person. So I think all of that really does fall into place. Um, and kind of for more of that common theme, if you guys want to listen to my podcast, Dan's Dabble and Babble, I would greatly appreciate it. 
Amazing. And Dan, do you have a website that you would like to share with the audience along where, with where you primarily hang out on social media? Yeah, so I don't have an active website, uh, but like I said, the podcast is Zan's Dabble and Babble, so that's available on any podcast platform. And then on Twitter, you can find me at Babbling Dan or on Instagram at Daniel Burkett. And there you have it, listeners and viewers of GEMS Podcast. All of Dan, aka Daniel Burkett's information will be in the show notes. Just scroll on down and read to get his contact information. I want to encourage each one of you to not sleep on your dreams, really connect with who you are and where you want to go and rise above limitations and break down barriers. You weren't born in a box. You shouldn't be in a box. So why the hell do you allow other people to place you in the box? You are uniquely you for such a time as this. So really tap into yourself and what you have to bring to the table. And you can apply that in all areas of your life. Don't forget to like, comment, and subscribe. We're on 40 plus platforms. And I want to thank each one of you for tuning in on a consistent basis. Because of you, we're now ranked in the top two and a half percent globally out of 2.8 million podcasts for www.listennotes.com. And we are looking for brand sponsors. Space is limited. So head on over to Genesis of Mars Camp net to find out more information and click on that podcast tab and for the spelling you'll see it in the lower left hand corner of this video and until we chat next time peace love and lots of blessings thank you for listening to another segment of gems podcast hope you enjoyed this recording make sure you like comment share and subscribe to GEMS Podcast on your audio platform, as well as our YouTube channel, GEMS with Genesis Mars Kemp. We would love for you to be a sponsor, so please reach out via email at GEMS, G-E-M-S, with W-I-T-H, Genesis, G-E-N-E-S-I-S, Amaris, A-M-A-R-I-S, Kemp, K-E-M-S at gmail.com where your brand your swag your services can be here on gems podcast